This radio program is PG-13. Parents strongly caution some material may be inappropriate for children under the age of 13. Send me Jesus' mission was to comfort those who mourn, bind up the brokenhearted, proclaim liberty to captives, and open prison doors for those who are bound. For those who want more than status quo Christianity has to offer, Blazing Grace Radio begins now. And here is your host, Mike Janung. Hey, Mike Janung here, and welcome back to Blazing Grace Radio. Glad to have you along, as always. And hey, what's wrong with porn? I've heard people in the church say, ah, it's not a big deal. It's men, you know, men are always going to do it. They're always going to have less. I, I know one guy who said that, well, I just do it once a month, so what's the big deal? But the problem is that every time you immerse yourself in that spiritual sewage, you're coating your heart with a little bit more poison, a little bit more evil, and you're giving the enemy a bit more of a stronghold to grab onto. And what happens is over a period of years or even decades, the man's heart or the woman's heart, because women struggle with this too, can go rock hard and cold. And when that happens, when evil has enough ground, anything can happen, including uh, physical abuse, verbal abuse, emotional abuse, and even much worse. So Today, I'm going to be discussing this with my guest, Olivia, led prayer calls for wives for us here at Blazing Grace, whose husbands who were doing porn. This was back in 2016. She is passionate about helping women and girls who are suffering from the trauma that sex addiction inflicts on a family. She is a board-certified holistic nutritionist and works with children and young adult survivors for, of sex trafficking. Olivia and her husband have a blended family with nine children and two chickens. Olivia, welcome to the program. Hi, Mike. Thank you so much for inviting me. Sure. And so let's get started by having you share your story. Okay. Um, so let's see. I grew up in a single-parent home um, with a mom who had to work a lot to make ends meet and a dad who was an alcoholic and very, um, he would be absent most of the time, present every now and then, but highly unreliable. And so um, as I grew into the person I was becoming towards graduating high school and going into college, I um, kind of started looking for love in all the wrong places. I know a lot of women fall into that when uh, we don't have active fathers. And um, so when I was a freshman in college, I um, met my uh, now ex-spouse and um, just fell head over heels. He seemed um, like he really had it together, um, had a career, um, had goals. He was a little, quite a bit older than me, um, but I just thought, you know, I'm pretty mature for my age and, um, and it's, you know, it could work out. He also had two children from a previous marriage that was very brief. Um, 
And so, but that wasn't a big deal for me. I just thought we can make it work no matter what. I was just so determined um, to get married and have a family to prove I could be committed and not be like my parents. Um, unfortunately, both of them had several marriages and divorces under their belt. And I was determined to prove that I wasn't going to be like them. And um, so we had a very quick um, courtship. Unfortunately, regrettably, I was not a believer at this time. I was raised in and out of the Catholic Church, um, but really erred more on the side of of atheism. At this point, I was intending to go to medical school. Um, I loved Darwin and Darwinism and um, all those theories that kind of draw you away from what we know to be true about the way the earth and man was created. And um, when I met this person, he was actually a believer, and um, and that was okay. I didn't really care, you know, much about faith at that point, but he claimed it was very, very important to him, and he told me that he would never um, ask me to marry him until I was a believer, which made me really angry, you know, to be told something like that. And um, But over time, he had bought me a Bible, and um, when he was gone— he traveled a lot for work, and when he was gone, uh, I would read it just to try and feel closer to him. And when I was reading through Genesis, actually, which is kind of odd now that I am so close and familiar with the Word of God, but in Genesis I was reading, and the Holy Spirit just came on me, and I knew that I needed to repent, and I needed a Savior. Um, and it was through understanding and realizing the truth of creation that I actually got saved. And so <clears throat> Thanksgiving was coming up, and uh, I was going to visit him, and I told him what happened, and he proposed to me that day, um, and we got married not very long after that, and I was still very young, <laughs> and um, and then we moved around the country together. Um, there were always some, some kind of red flags, if you will, but I was raised in dysfunction, so it was really hard for me to recommend or recognize uh things that weren't quite right, and I'd never really seen or witnessed a healthy marriage or a healthy relationship. And um, so it was about six or seven years into our marriage when I realized, oh my gosh, my husband is a porn addict. And um, that was really heavy for me. I knew it was there before, but I didn't think it had its grips in him like that. I thought, once we get married, you know, he'll stop doing that. That's what I feel like a lot of wives believe. Or uh, when I led the prayer call, I would hear a lot of times that wives wouldn't even know about their husband's porn addictions until they were married. And that just wrecked them because they felt like they had somehow contributed to that or um, to the development of that. And then their self-worth and their self-image and everything is just so um, thwarted and it's horrible. But I did know about it. And I just thought, you know, it's, it's fine. It's what guys do. Right. And, um, and unfortunately, uh, it took a very big toll, just like you were, you were speaking about, um, his heart became very hard. Um, it's like he wasn't able to have compassion on me or our children. Um, and we, we just lived life in this fog, you know, the fog of addiction. We talk about it a lot. And, um, so I reached this point of desperation. I just really didn't know what to do because I'm not committing this sin, yet I am. we are one flesh, and I'm under the oppression of his sin addiction. And that's when I discovered Blazing Grace. And so I started taking part in the prayer calls. Actually, 
I became a prayer call member um, in 2014, right before I got pregnant with my middle son, um, which who's now seven, so that means eight years ago, which is crazy to think about. But um, so I I joined the prayer calls and just to have the camaraderie of the women and hear their stories, even though it was it was kind of hard because it's raw and it's you know a lot of emotion and it's intense and it's painful. Um, that was such a light for me. Um, and it really kept me going sometimes from week to week, just waiting for that prayer call to come. And there are probably women listening, you know, who feel, who feel that way right now. It's like nothing can keep you. You just need some small, tiny thing to look forward to, to make it. And, um, I was on the prayer calls for quite a while and then, um, was asked to step up and be a leader. And so, um, yeah, that's, that's kind of my story up until that point. Mm. And then, well, from there, and then what, what, what happened in your marriage? Well, um, unfortunately, um, it's, not, it's not a story of um, a lot of hope in some regard, uh, the, in a conventional way of thinking. Um, my husband uh, did not choose to repent. Um, he did not choose recovery. There was, it was a long road. You know how it is. It's a roller coaster up and down. You have good times that keep you going for a little bit. And then, you know, the fallout and the casualties are you and your children. And um, I was just struggling so hard and trying to make it work. And I wanted to stay married so badly. I did not want to get divorced. And um, I did an, an intensive, <clears throat> it was a therapy intensive with Circle of Healing and Joy. And um, my therapist for that group, uh, Marsha, has an autoimmune disorder from the trauma she's experienced because of sexual addiction. And, um, and she got very ill um, during the course of our intensive and wasn't able to host um, our group, and she had to have a partner do it. And it just kind of hit me. I was a nurse at the time, and... Um, well, not at that present moment. I had given birth to my middle son who was six weeks old at that time. And um, I thought, oh, my gosh, this is going to affect my physical health. And I think it already is. Like, I kind of knew deep down inside, like, this is destructive. It's it more than emotionally and sexually. It's physically destroying my body to be in this trauma week after week after week. And... um and so I told my therapist, um, I can't stay. I got to go. And she said, you need to pray. Don't be impulsive. You need to pray and wait for the Lord to speak. And he will tell you when you can leave. And so I prayed. And he told me a year. And I said, no way. I am not sticking it out another year. Because at this point, I have two biological children. And the two children that I, that I had adopted from his previous marriage, and I'm like, these kids are being impacted now, too. I'm starting to see it. You know, it doesn't, you don't hear a lot of times of a, a porn or a sex addict husband just being this fantastic dad. Like, women will say that, like, well, I'm staying with him because he's a great dad. But when, you get, when it gets down to the nitty-gritty, he's like, at best, a mediocre dad because he can't be present with, with them because he's in that fog. His fix is really what has his mind captivated, not his family or his wife. And so um, I, I was ready to be done, but I held on um, for that year. I just pushed through. I almost put it in the back of my mind. Um, 
And what our marriage looked like at that point was just hostility. There was physical abuse. Um, there was verbal and emotional abuse towards me and the older two kids. Um, they're still working through trauma. Um, one is really just kind of beginning to. And just the impact it had on us as a whole to not have that godly spiritual leader that we needed so badly was just devastating. And, um, and so there was an event that our, that son that I had, it was the day after his first birthday. Um, there, we were trying to go to church and, um, he caused an, an issue and I fought back and I was like, no, I'm taking, I'm taking the children to church. And he got really angry at me and he got physical, physically violent with me in our front yard. And um, a neighbor was walking by, and she called the police, and I just praise God for that woman every day. Mm. Um, and she called the police. She reported it was an anonymous tip, and um, but we had also in our neighborhood, there was an ex-Marine who kind of brought it upon himself to be like the neighborhood cop, you know, like he ran the neighborhood watch program and everything, and he had a radio, and he heard when the call was dispatched. And he beat them there. And as he came, I, my oldest daughter actually freed me from my husband at the time. Um, and we got in the car and we left. And he was coming down the street when this happened. And so he saw me. I was a mess. I, my earring had been ripped out of my ear. I was crying and my hair was all disheveled. And, um, and so um, he kind of saw what happened. And he, I said, I just need to get safe, somewhere safe. And he said, okay, go ahead, go ahead. And I told him where I would be. And uh, so then the police called me, and, um, but it's just the manipulation that happens over time. I don't know why, but I'm trusting the Lord in this. The cop asked me, did he hurt you? And I said, well, he didn't, he didn't hit me or anything. And I don't know why I worded it like that. I just think the manipulation throughout the years, you don't really know up from down. You feel crazy. You know, it's it's a mess. And, um, and he said, okay, well, you guys spend the night apart and, um, you know, work it out. But, um, my ex was pretty, uh, he liked to get his way and he would not spend the night apart. And so I actually just asked him to go to a different bedroom and, and that's how we were for a bit. And it was almost a year to the day that the Lord told me, um, I had decided to contact an attorney and seek a divorce. And um, he found out, and he was so angry, and he kicked me out of the house. And my little guy, my baby, um, had hand, foot, and mouth. We were up all night long. It was horrible. I was so exhausted and tired, and he kicked me out. He said, you have 10 minutes. Get what you need for the kids and get out. And so I did. I took that chance um, and left, and we were apart for about three months. Um, and... Again, I still do not know why, but I just didn't feel released from him by the Lord. And that was really important to me because even though divorce in this case was justified because of the adultery, I needed to feel the Lord. My father released me from the one he had joined me to in flesh. And so we ended up getting back together, going to a, um, a crisis counselor. He began, began um, sex addiction um, therapy with a CSAT. I went to therapy. We did our groups. We did. We were working it. We were working all the things, and something happened, and he just went off the deep end. And he said, "You know what? Actually, I don't love you anymore." 
And it, again, it was just like the mind games. And I said, um, okay. He said, I'm just staying with you um, for the kids. Well, at this point, um, we had a little surprise baby that decided to um, make his way into the world. And um, I was just about due with him when he told me this. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I said, okay, well, what do you want to do? And he said, well, I'm going to file for a divorce. And I said, okay. And there was something in that moment. It was funny because his mom was actually visiting with me at that time. And um, she saw me on the phone with him having this conversation. And she said it was like there was a lightness that came over me. And when I hung up, she said, what was that about? You know, and I said, well, um, my, you know, I told her it was, it was my husband and, um, he, he says he doesn't love me anymore and he wants a divorce. And she was like, oh, I'm so sorry. And I'm like, it's okay. You know, it's, it's been a long time coming. Um, we had been together for 15 years at this point and, um, five kids. 15 years. And, um, and so he filed and he said, I'll give you this. Um, you can have that. And I said, okay, we did it ourselves. We were amicable. It was almost like a bluff situation. Like he thought I was going to grovel back. Like I always had before, you know, they say it takes, um, a person seven times to leave an abuser, like to leave an abusive relationship. And I don't know how many times we'd had that interaction, but each time I, you know, I would come back, no, we need to work it out. The kids, you know, we're Christians, you know, we have this ministry, blah, blah, blah. And, um, and I just said, okay, okay. And I was just agreeable with whatever he offered, whatever he wanted. I let him have, um, and we negotiated a a few small things and, and he filed it. And, um, we got, I got the final divorce decree signed on my youngest son's first birthday. Mm. So it's dated that day. Um, and I just felt like, because there was some feelings toward, you know, anybody who's in an addictive or abusive marriage, they know that children can be kind of a burden. You know, it ties you down. It makes you less flexible. You have, you need different things. You need more finances. You need accommodations, you know, all the things. And when when I became pregnant with him, I felt almost like a sentence, like a prison sentence. Um, because I'm like, well, great. Now I have another one that I have to worry about caring for. And I'm not financially independent because I've been supporting him and his career dreams for the last 15 years. And so, um, I feel like that was the Lord's way of kind of speaking to me and telling me like, I meant this, I'm in control. I can, and I will work all things for good for you. And, um, so I just surrendered that suffering to him. I cried hard, very, very, very hard. It surprised me. Grief is such a strange thing to walk through. Um, but, and, and I was released. I knew I was released when he told me on that, on that, in that phone call, I knew that I was released at that moment. And I think that's what just gave me the peace of God to walk through this whole situation. Divorce is so painful. Um, but I just had the peace and, and steadfastness the whole time from the Lord in it. And, um, and so after I got divorced, I was determined. I had this mantra. I say it's kind of funny um, that I was going to live my life for the Lord and raise my babies in Him. And that was my entire life goal. I ended up going back to school for my nutrition degree. Um, 
while I had this little newborn. <laughs> it was interesting, an interesting time. And, um, and, but I had my big kids, you know, and they helped with the little ones and stuff. And, um, and then um, I was at church, and I had taken on a leadership role at church over um, our coffee ministry, which sounds silly, but it was so um, impactful. And, um, and I had this new recruit that had come on. He volunteered to serve, and, um, and I had to train him and kind of judge if I thought he was going to be a good fit for the team or not. And um, he was so cute. But again, I had, I had even bought myself a, a wedding band, like not a wedding band, but a band that I wore on my ring finger. That was my, my promise ring to the Lord. It was um, like a, a wheat looking, you know, like a wheat um, strand ring. And it just, it reminded me of his provision and how I didn't need to fear or worry or anything. I could always count on him for provision and everything. And so um, I had this ring and, you know, I was like, I'm going to live for the Lord my whole life. I'm probably going to go on the mission field someday. Right. And then I meet this guy at church um, about a year and a half later. And um, we just fell head over heels for each other. And we ended up, we dated for about three months. Um, and then we, he proposed to me and we got married nine days later. Wow. And so that was in 2019. So we've been married three years, just over three years now. Um, and it was pretty funny because, you know, when you walk through something so painful, you have like an intensity and an intentionality in any future relationship with a man. And so I really put him through the ringer. I, our second date, I was just like, I need to lay this all out on the line. Masturbation, not acceptable to me. Pornography, not acceptable to me. Like zero tolerance for these things. Like you will not, I can't have you defile your body if you do. We can just be friends. This isn't going to go anywhere. Like, these are, like, my non-negotiables. And he was like, okay, okay, I understand. I get it. Okay, you know. And he was very honest with me, and he told me, you know, I have used porn before in the past, but I know how horrible it is um, for you, and I haven't. I didn't. Luckily, it didn't develop into anything habitual or addictive. Um, but I have, and he's been very open with me, and it's just it's such a healing relationship for me because, um, even we'll be watching a movie and there'll be a racy scene that comes on and he just looks at me. And the first time he did it, I was like, I didn't really realize it. And I looked up and he's just staring at me <laughs> and I'm like, Hey, what are you doing? And he's like, well, you know, I don't, I just want to avert my eyes. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, that is so amazing. And so, um, so yeah, that's, you're up to date now. And that's how we ended up with nine kids and two chickens, <laughs> as you said. <laughs> Well, thank you, Olivia, and I think your story shows where sin, sexual sin, can take people if they let it, and Mm -hmm. we've got about a minute and a half left, Mm -hmm. so take a minute, and anything you want to say to the listeners, men and women. Wow. Um, I think to women, if you're going to stay, stay well, Um, get therapy set boundaries, get help, be as healthy as you possibly can in your environment. And if you're going to leave, leave well. Same thing. Um, Don't sacrifice your integrity. Um, Seek godly, wise counsel, and and just do whatever you can do to be the healthiest you can. And for the men, um, it's so hard. We know. We wives know. Even though it pains us, we see your pain. Um, But there are things you can do. Go to the groups, go to the recovery, do ART. That therapy has been showing huge progress 
in sex sex addiction um, and just get help and, and lead your family because we need you. We need you so badly. Mm. <clears throat> well, thank you, Olivia. And yeah, definitely. This, this Thanks is, for having me. Your story is very powerful and it shows what can happen, but I also am grateful for the redemption God gave you and your second husband. Yeah, me too. And it's not perfect and it's not easy, but um, it's so different. It's great to be able to experience marriage like it was meant to be. It's such a blessing and a gift from the Lord, mm-hmm. for sure. Well, thank you for joining us, my friends, and we'll talk to you next time. Do you want to be free? Blazing Grace is a nonprofit international ministry for the sexually broken and the spouse. Please visit us at blazinggrace.org for information on Mike Janung's books, groups, counseling, or to have Mike speak at your organization. You can email us at email at blazinggrace.org or call our office in Chandler, Arizona at 719-888-5144. Again, visit us at blazinggrace.org. Email us at email at blazinggrace.org or call the office at 719-888-5144.